Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. Welcome to This Sunday's Game. We've just had the longest day of the year, so all downhill from here, or maybe not. With yesterday's GAA announcement in Dublin that adults can return to training from Wednesday and juveniles from Saturday, the summer has been rescued. Today we're going to have a quick scan around Europe with Gaelic Games Europe chairperson Tony Bass, who also had good news to announce for Benlux yesterday. And we'll also ask that maybe Ireland is lacking a little bit of caution as they rush to return to action. But first, a bit of news. Yesterday the GAA announced a return to action much earlier than many had expected. With the number of COVID cases decreasing, the association made a decision to return to training in a controlled manner. It breaks down as follows. JA Grounds and Pitches will reopen next Wednesday for adult training, of course that is non-contact, and for juveniles the same on Saturday. There will be a maximum of 15 players in a designated area of the field, that's in the 26 counties, and 10 players in a designated area of the field, that is in the 6 counties. On the 29th of June, they will be allowed to have contact in training and challenge matches. Now, of course, that's only in the 26 counties in Northern Ireland. They are awaiting guidance from the Northern Ireland Executive. Club fixtures can return from Friday, 17th of June, and there is no change to inter-county dates. That is, that they will start training from the 14th of September, and the first matches to be um, played will be on the 17th of October. With all sports returning in Ireland from the 29th of June, the Irish government has promised financial support. Along with the IRFU and FAI, the GAA can share in a pot of up to 40 million euros. In a statement from the GAA, they expressed the association's gratitude to the government for the support package announced this evening. This funding will greatly assist our units in the weeks and months ahead as they prepare for a return to activity. The English Premier League made its long-awaited return this week with more focus on Roy Keane's histrionics than on the football displayed during Man United's 1-1 draw with Spurs. The Corkman dialed his act up to maximum when suggesting that some United players should get a taxi home instead of using the team bus. Bayern Munich won the German Bundesliga again, their 15th in the last 10 years. Liverpool hope to emulate them by wrapping up the English Premier League title this week. Elsewhere in North America, Major League Baseball not only has a dispute between owners and players, now clubs have been hit with COVID infections. The Philadelphia Phillies and Toronto Blue Jays training facilities had to be closed due to a number of players and staff for both clubs contracting coronavirus. On Friday, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said that he is not confident that the 2020 season will take place at all. And finally, with COVID cases continuing to rise in Florida and half their players refusing to play in protests against racism, the NBA might not return as planned next month. Originally, the top 22 teams were to be based in Disney World and Florida, but the National Basketball Players Association pointed one obvious flaw. That Walt Disney World staff, who will not reside in the NBA campus, that includes catering and housekeeping staff, will not be subject to any coronavirus testing. Of course, the Orlando campus will be situated in one of the hot zones for coronavirus infections. Okay, so we're delighted to have back on this Sunday's game the chairperson for Gay Games Europe, all the way from Maastricht, Tony Bass. Tony, a, a very happy Saturday afternoon to you. And to you, Alan. Um, good to be talking to you again. After having Oliver Callan on, we have to sort of like lift it up another notch. So that's where we, we, we brought you back on. 
I, I'm not sure Docky can compete with Inniskeen. <laughs> well, you know, there, there, there's a... Yeah, there's we, have, we have a few more on Ireland's than they have. <laughs> well, you know, let's... Uh, I'd have to mention the Cooler Club somewhere, you know, along the way. <laughs> <laughs> the announcement in Holland that there will be, uh, in September and October, I believe, there'll be match days uh, out there. How good is it to get back yeah. out training? Absolutely. Um, you know, right across Europe, we're, we're obviously at different stages of getting back to things. And, um, you know, there, there's very positive news from Ireland, obviously, which is the home base for GA. Um, they've actually brought forward the opening and, and teams will be back training. But we've already um, started training across Europe. And, you know, a lot of a lot of clubs are in the socially distanced or physically distant training at the moment. But we're back in contact training in places like Switzerland and Denmark. So, you know, things are beginning to open up again. Um, I think it's rather fitting that our first actual fixture and the first weekend in September will actually be Camogie and Hurling in The Hague in the Netherlands. Um, and indeed, four weeks later, we'll, have, we'll be having what you know, would have been the European Championship finals, the end of uh, five or six rounds um, in Amsterdam on the first weekend in October. Uh, but it, it's great to get it going. Um, in Benelux, we're also looking at, uh, because of travel restrictions, etc., and you know, people are still a bit nervous about traveling and, and things like that. So rather than have a big Benelux tournament where we'd have the 14 clubs of Benelux come together, we're breaking that into three mini tournaments. So again, it's it's just easier in terms of, you know, you have a number of clubs coming together. So, you you know, you're not going to have hundreds of players. You might have about 100 players in each location, which will be a lot less uh, nervous for people. But also the authorities will be a lot more relaxed, uh, we hope. And that's the strategy there. In other parts of Europe, um, clubs are beginning to start getting ready. They're starting to organise friendly games and challenge games. But by September, we expect to, you know, a good level of activity. It will be a different sort of activity. The competitions will be different. In some cases, it won't be competitions. It'll just be friendly tournaments. But the main thing is we're back out hitting a slitter and kicking a ball again. And that's what it's all about. Because at the end of the day, we're an amateur organisation. It's all about the players. Players want games. And games are, the, are what we do. Yeah, I mean, games, of course, we know the motivation. There's no good just training, training for endless hours of having it. This goes from mm-hmm. children all the way up to adults. Tony, on that, with the games coming back, and you say, like, you know, because I know that in Europe, we are tightly regulated by local authorities, not by, say, a national uh, authority or governing body in most places. What, can you give an idea of what kind of precautions would be taken for those um, competitions in the Benelux? Well, of course, a lot depends. And this is where um, some countries have a very centralised approach. Other countries have a very decentralised approach. So in the Netherlands, um, there are cer- certainly government guidelines. But then you have to comply with whatever. Uh, the, the country is divided into what they call safety regions. Uh, really, they're sort of at provincial level. And each one is slightly different protocols are slightly different and then municipalities can introduce their own requirements but in general it's you know we turn up there's no dressing rooms available we have to turn up ready to go so basically it's it's a arrive train and get out as quickly as possible and you know no real you know greeting of people you know no handshaking and bear hugging and all as much as you'd want to do it after not seeing people for months other than on zoom conferences um yeah, but, I, you know, so far from what I've seen, people have been very respectful of, of the rules. I think they're so grateful to get out again and also so conscious of the pandemic. And, then, you know, that's what's really impressed me is the responsibility of our members to themselves, their families and to the wider community. So nobody's grumbling about anything. In fact, the positivity that's there 
if you could bottle that and harness it, uh, we could have done with it over the years sometimes <laughs> in an organization. But I'd like to think that, you know, it's almost like we've done a reset. So people are thinking differently now about how we should structure competitions in future. Uh, and, I, you know, in the business world, they call it blue sky thinking. And uh, I've noticed more of that than I've ever seen in all my, well, I suppose 40 years in the GA. I've seen more in the past four months than I have in 40 years, which is wonderful. For all the minuses surrounding the GAA as an organisation, and there are minuses with as same as every other organisation, whether it be sport, whether it be business, there have been a lot of pluses um, that we've seen for it and remarked upon by people who would be, let's just say, not very well disposed towards the GAA. Um, do you think that the GAA standing will be a little bit higher now in Ireland because they, they have stood their ground and they've been very re- reactive as well as proactive? In Ireland, where the GAA is preeminent, it's number one. It's always there for people to have a tilt at it um, and to be negative about it. So I, I think the way the GA community has come together, it's the way I would expect. It's what we've always done, but it's more obvious. And it's bringing home to people the fact that the GA is not just about sport, particularly in Ireland. GA is part of the community. It's one of the bedrocks on which we build things in, in Ireland. And, you know, that's always been the way in rural areas. But I, I certainly know just from reading my book, you know, they've done something like uh, two and a half thousand grocery shops for people who couldn't leave home themselves. That's a huge amount in one village. You know, when you think about it, that's a number of people doing stuff every day for the community. And we've just seen that replicated throughout Ireland and, and indeed further, further afield, you know. And you, you see, the, you know, in Britain and in, in the US where you have these very strong Irish communities. They have really, if you like, built a virtual Irish community in helping themselves, despite whatever else may be happening. But, uh, you know, what, what makes me especially proud is when I, when I look across the 90 clubs we have in Europe, and, you know, over, over what is it, 23 countries these days, every one of those clubs has been doing something. And whether, you know, they're small and uh, maybe they've organized some quizzes and things just to keep people sane, right across to others who are, are fundraising for good causes, um, for charities, you know, there, there, there's charities like uh, Darkness and Light, uh, Pieta House, um, and a number of our clubs w- would have participated in that in the past. And they've gone ahead and done it in virtual ways. Um, so what I, I think has been brilliant has been the insight that people have got into themselves and others, but also the innovation they've applied in their daily lives and how to do things. Even in organisation, you know, we've got so comfortable at doing things in certain ways that we'll now be able to make progress. Um, you know, the, we, we used to do all our video calls with the video switched off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I see now more and more, we're actually doing yeah. with the video switched on. And it makes such a difference in a meeting because you, you're getting, at least you're getting the facial reactions, things like that. So, you know, I think we're all becoming more comfortable. Things that sort of interest me personally are the future of the world of work and how that will all work out. Because all of these have implications for us individually, but also as organizations and things. So, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot of people who probably won't have jobs to go back to. That, that's a job to support them in whatever way we can. And then we have others who will have moved into, into different areas. And, you know, maybe, maybe they're working in things just because there is work available. Uh, what, what will they do in the future? All of those are the sort of things that, uh, you know, you'd be, you'd be reflecting on in, in, in quieter periods. Maybe it's just me, but that, yeah. But I, I think there, there's so much of interest out there that it'll take a while for us to come to terms with all of it. Uh, but from what I've seen is positivity, community, outreach, and being, you know, a, a sense of solidarity 
in the, in a club, in your country, and across the organisation, and indeed just across society. And I mean, there's always exceptions. There's always going to be people who don't fit in with the mainstream or have a problem or want to complain or whatever. Um, and sometimes, you know, if you spend a couple of hours on Twitter, you can think that the whole world is falling apart. It's not. <laughs> yeah. There are the famous keyboard warriors, you know, then there's others, uh, a bit like myself, who dip in and out. But, you know, we maintain our sanity by, by doing normal things and talking to real people. This afternoon was announced that from this Wednesday, Wednesday will be the 24th, I believe it is, uh, this coming Wednesday, 24th, uh, that GAA grounds can open for training again and the mm-hmm. juveniles can come back to non-contact training um, on the 27th. So the adults begin the 24th and the juveniles the 27th. And club fixtures from Friday the 17th of July. Okay, so no change in the county that it was like that from the 14th of September for training and then I think the 17th of October was for uh, count, uh, county championships. Um mm-hmm. Liam O'Neill, of course, who is former uh, head of Leinster, president of GAA, and a very good friend uh, of, of, of Gaelic Games Europe, uh, earlier on today, he said that uh, he's a bit worried. Uh, he said, we're not in control of this pandemic just yet. And the thing that struck me when I heard was, we're taking a foot off the caution pedal. He sort of worries that there's a narrative that we're in control of this, but it's not really, and we should be uh, careful. And... Putting Europe in context, like you said, we've been very careful in turning, but sticking 15 kids into one small patch of a field, might it be a bit too soon for Ireland or, or, or am I being a sort of a, a nervous Nelly? Well, I haven't actually seen um, or heard what Dean said exactly, uh, but I'm, I'm trusting that you, you've summarised it well, Alan. Well, Liam would be the first to tell you that I wouldn't always agree. Yeah. Um, Liam, of course, is our, our honorary president. Uh, I was involved in the foundation of Gaelic Games Europe, and as a former president, GA, and you know, as a school principal in a, in a in a small area, just retired. You know, he's very conscious of community. You know, I, I think what he may well have been voicing is that you know, yes, we're 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 happy to get back, but we need to be careful. Um, and I think that that just makes sense. And and indeed, I I don't have a problem with people urging caution, because I think it's good to hear those voices in the debate uh, it keeps people you know rooted um, if we all went back and it was all about you know um when's the inter-county coming back when can we all bundle into Thurlis or crow park or you know McHale park or wherever it might be we could lose the run of ourselves very easy. we do need people to urge you know to to be the voice of caution you know have help us you know, we don't necessarily want to be in the united states where nobody wants to hear any of the caution yeah, but look at their pandemic rates. You know, the, the, look at look at the rates of infection. I, I think in Ireland, I, I I believe I heard yesterday, uh, or maybe it was earlier today, that it's a sort of a one in a million uh, might might be infected now in Ireland. The, you know, there are a few cases that intensive, um, and they had one person admitted to hospital or something like that in, in the past twenty four hours. Yeah. Still, there's still infection immunity, and you know that's nineteen living with the coronavirus pandemic you know we probably are going to have to do that it's impossible you know I, I just can't see how it can be eliminated worldwide you know short of having a, a vaccine and even then it has to be given to everybody you know it's useful to have people urging caution uh, and putting it in context and it makes us at least stop and think you know it's a bit like every so often you know my, my partner would say to me uh, you've got your hand on your face again I just realized I was doing it as I was talking to you Alan and <laughs> um, you know habits take the time to change yeah. 
you know, I'm in my 50s. I'm 50 years of, you know, putting my hand to my face or whatever. I've got to change these habits, you know, coughing into your elbow. It's taken me months to master that one. And I still forget from time to time. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a role for, for people having a cautious approach. I think that's part of the mix. And look, you know, nobody, not all of us are always going to agree. But I think that's the wonderful thing about something like the GA. We have, or we have platforms in which to debate these things. And, you know, I find a, a high degree of respect, and particularly for those who, who've had leadership positions in the past. That's one of the things we value. Um, and their counsel is always welcome. Uh, we might not always welcome what they're saying, but the fact that they're still prepared to say it. Uh, you see it at GA Congresses every year when former presidents speak. Very often, because of their experience, you know, they'll come in at the end of a debate and they'll swing the debate in a certain way. So I've, I, I've realized the benefits of, of listening to sometimes your elders and those more experienced than you. Um, although I'm getting on a bit now, you know, you're never too old to learn. That there's two ways that uh, a pandemic like this ends. One is that people just get tired of it and the government say, listen here, just go for it. And the second is that there's a, a vaccine. Caution is as caution does. And we, we see, as you mentioned, America and also in Brazil, where basically they've Base, just let it run riot and it's it's a terrible state at the moment um, yeah well you know it's unfortunate and you you would feel your heart would go out to all those families and, and people who've been affected both by death serious illness and illness you know co- having had the virus and the long-term effects that people are suffering i, I mean this is one thing I, I don't think a lot of people are, are focusing on but the amount of people who have had kidney failure are on dialysis now etc yeah they're the ones who have to live with it you know, it's it's almost like if someone passes, you know, it's very sad and whatever. But we're almost better at coping with death sometimes than long-term debilitating illnesses. And I, I think there's, you know, that's that's a discussion that's still to be had. How You know, how are we going to look after people who've had impacts and maybe even lesser impacts? You know, people who are just now much more susceptible to other illnesses um, and things like that. I mean, there is still so much we don't know about this pandemic. This week here, uh, we, we've seen that soccer has, of course, been getting back and the, the piped-in cheering for American TV audiences for the English Premier League. But in Russia, we, we returned this week as well to the Russian Premier League. And it was a very interesting one that I want to ask you your opinion on, especially from a GAA context. Uh, FC Rostov, of course, they almost did a Leicester and won the Russian Premier League back in 2017. They are, you know, top five in the Russian Premier League, going for a Europa League place at least. And um, <clears throat> they're playing FC Sochi, who of course are bankrolled by uh, Gazprom and won by the Rottenberg brothers. Sochi kind of mid-table, but they're probably going to go out of the league this year anyway. At the start of the week, Rostov had six players of their first team ill with coronavirus and 11 staff. Following me off from that, they asked to postpone the game, like we'd seen in Kirpati Lavov in uh, in Ukraine, the the Premier League there said, "Look, postpone the game until everyone's fit and healthy because the whole team's in quarantine." Sochi refused, and the minors or the under 18s that basically seventeen year olds were sent out to play, uh, scored after fifty two seconds to go one nil ahead. Uh, there was no miracle on grass, and they lost ten one. Could something like that happen in GAA? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. It's Horrendous when you think about it. Uh, you know, my initial reaction um, as an administrator would be postpone the match immediately. Why? Not just out of sympathy for Rostov, but out of, you know, respect and, and to make sure that nobody from Sochi would get infected. Uh, and indeed, you know, the potential, 
you know, essentially what you have there is a cluster. It, it's 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 sort of hard for me to think that, you know, if you have a cluster, and I mean, this is where sometimes I think you have the difference between amateur sport and professional sport. You don't have that financial incentive in amateur sport. We are just players. We're part of the community. If we if there's a cluster identified, we have a duty of care and responsibility to our community not to exacerbate the situation and therefore I would have no problem as an administrator in making the decision to postpone that game. It did seem that the Russian Premier League were afraid to do it because if they postponed it, Sochi of course who you know want the points, Rostov of course needed points, it just seemed to be no compromise and they left it, they, they actually handed the decision over to the clubs. So of course Rostov yeah. said look let's postpone it um, and Sochi refused to do it. It it almost brought back memories of 2010 and Mies and Laos. If you put it down to the clubs, you're putting both of them in a difficult position. And, you know, it's going to be, I you know, I, I don't know anything about the personalities involved or the context or the environment or how things are in Russia generally or, you know, whatever is going on. But I think sometimes you have to stand back and look at the issue. This is a public health situation, first and foremost. Sport is something that we do in the community for entertainment. Okay, professionally, it's a job. But it's a bit like saying, would, would you send those people into that meatpacking hall knowing that they're going to be infected? And, you know, meatpacking plants are, are, around the world have, have been centres and clusters. Um, so that's going to be, um, you know, just... We just have to avoid situations like that. And I think as sports administrators, you know, whether professional or amateur, we really have to focus on the big picture here. We are part of a big, huge, complex jigsaw puzzle. And the last thing we want to do is kick the table and knock the puzzle all over the floor, which to me, exacerbating a cluster situation reminds me of something like that, although obviously a lot more serious. I'd like to think if I was on, you know, in a position of authority in Sochi, how would I respond if we forced that match? Rostov had some asymptomatic players. They played and some of my players then got infected. Um, I think my chance of getting a postponement next week would be somewhat diminished. Karma is a female dog. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Tony, listen, thank you so much for that. And uh, no problem, look, looking forward to uh, getting back out in the field and start hooking some slitters and kicking some footballs. Thank you again. Okay, thanks, Alan. As the final whistle blows on this episode of This Sunday's Game, we'd like to thank Tony Bass for his time. And remember that we'll be back on Wednesday. So until then, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>